Hi, I'm Amy Porter. Some of you know me as a flutist and a classical musician, others as a professor, and some of you know me as a publisher and arranger. I'm a stepmom, I'm a business owner, and I'm the founder of a couple of nonprofits. And this is my podcast. My core mission as an entrepreneur is to appreciate what I have around me. And then I try and see as clearly as possible how I can help. So let's talk. Let's share information. Let's laugh and sometimes cry over the things that we have to work through in life and in music, in business and family and relationships. Come on into my Porter Flute pod. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod. This is Season 2, Episode 11. We thank you for your listenership, and we value all forms of music here at Porter Productions. So today, I went to the vault and I found a performance from 2014. It's of Heinz Hollinger in Solitaire. Today, we'll be speaking about the aspect of having, quote-unquote, made it. And if having a manager, media specialist, PR person, or an assistant is actually necessary in order to feel like you've made it, we're calling the episode, Who's Managing Whom? We're featuring Nicole Ricardo from NR Media to help us figure it all out. I'll speak personally to you today about my journey to a manager as Amy Porter Flutist. Also, with me in the pod and believing in my purpose through music is Justine Sedke and Alan J. Tomasetti. Welcome to Porter Flute Pod. We're so glad you're here. As artists, we want recognition of some kind. It's a validation that we have something to say worth listening to and play worth listening to. Speaking in business terms, third-party validation is everything. So musicians have been subject to criticism our entire practicing life. So we have a resilience in our spirit that tells us to keep going and keep making art. And for that matter, never stop. One day, someone gives you third-party validation, and someone writes a check with your name on it for your music. It's quite a feeling. I remember I was 15. My mother took the money. She put it away for me. I think it was $30, which was a lot for a concert done by a 15-year-old at a retirement community in 1979. So this presenter of this local community concert series paid me and that stuck in my head as being a good thing, right? Getting to play the flute and getting paid. So I put my head down and I kept on making money at the flute. At Juilliard, uh, we all scoured the gig board. So I played every wedding, funeral party and gallery opening I could find. I was also looking for competitions at the same time to literally prove my worth. Why did I need to prove my worth? Well, gigging wasn't enough. I mean, 
making money playing the flute, I guess, wasn't specific enough for me. I had to get specific. And here we go. I needed a manager. Everyone who was anyone had a manager. So when life brought me in the 80s to perform in Asia, I jumped at it thinking it would lead to someone who might just believe in me enough to care, a manager. And then life brought me a job in the Atlanta Symphony. And I was making money. But nobody really cared about the girl who played recitals and concerti better than Brahms symphonies. And why should they? I mean, really, why should anyone care? As I said in the beginning, making it, quote unquote, has to do with our own perceptions of what that means. So I kept making art and I kept making music. When life brought me the Kobe competition in Japan and the application literally leapt onto the floor out of the mail pile, I felt that was a sign. (laughs) My flute company believed in my ability to at least win a prize, and there was a note attached to that application saying so. And so I did it. And I won. You know, oh my gosh, I was so frustrated. Was the Naumberg Foundation ever going to have a competition for me to win? (laughs) No. And they hadn't offered one and probably still haven't offered one for flute since 1978. And that's fine. I'm just saying I was banging on doors and those doors were closed, locked up. Here's what I was told. I was too young. I was a flute player. So what? I won an international prize. Go home. They all said it. Go home. You're not a pianist, a cellist, a singer, a violinist. You speak English. It doesn't sell tickets. Ouch, right? True story. Okay, so here I am 15 years later, coming in through teaching, through educating, into performances. And you know why? I let my faith lead. I gave up and I gave in. I stopped controlling and I let it be. You know, those people way back when, they didn't know what I knew. I was destined to live my dream because I was already living my dream. Now, here is Nicole Ricardo's story. It was very much a journey and all of these nudges that I I was getting for a really, really long time, like literally since I was a senior in high school, all of these little nudges on, you know, hey, maybe this whole marketing side of things, maybe this whole uh, social media side of things is actually what you should be doing. But I was so consumed with flute and wanting to play with an orchestra that I just kind of kept shoving them down and shoving them down and shoving them down. But then once I graduated, you know, I did the freelance thing for a while, but you know, we had bills to pay. So (laughs) ended up in a normal nine to five where I eventually transitioned, started doing marketing there, did it for a few different places in nine to fives. And eventually I kind of had one of those moments, I guess this was my spark really, where I was like, okay, well, I've seen all of these results. I know this works. Why am I wasting all of my time using this to build someone else's business and put more money in their pockets while I'm over here putting my dreams on the back burner when I can be using this to, you know, help myself, but also help my people, other musicians, right? There are so many people out there that could benefit from this. So 
that's what I'm going to do. So I made the decision. I, you know, did my branding, redid my website, started using social media strategically, started pitching for more clients, building up my private studio, and eventually was able to leave my full-time job and started doing what I do today. When you're first starting out, when you are not Amy Porter yet, you know, we, we can't do that. You have to be your own advocate. So for example, like contracts, that's something that I learned on my own. You know, I, I can go through a contract and find all those loopholes and find if you're trying to screw me in five minutes, you know, but I also knew that that was something I needed to train myself on, you know? So I think when you're first starting out, it is important to learn, learn, enough to be dangerous, you know, learn how to build your own audience, learn how to get out there and pitch yourself. So if you're trying to book a concert or set, set something up for yourself, you can learn enough how to review a contract. So that way, you know, you're not getting screwed before you can <laughs> afford a publicist or a lawyer, but at a certain point, you know, it's, it's that evolution, that growth and that evolution, right? as you grow, as your career evolves, as you become a more renowned artist, eventually your time and your energy is much better spent on focusing on your craft. And then you also have, you know, you've gained the recognition to be able to have somebody do it for you, right? Or can afford to have somebody do it for you. But um, I think it's really just going to be that evolution, you know, and maybe some people realize like, hey, I actually really like this management side of things and they just keep self-managing. Um, I personally would be with you, you know, if I was, if I was also like Amy Porter Flute, right? Sought after, heck yeah, I would have a manager too. I don't want to be doing that myself. But I mean, even with me, just with my business, I don't do everything myself. I have a team. I don't do my designs. I have a graphic designer. I don't tweak my website. I have my web designer tweak it for me. I just hired a copywriter. So a lot of my writing, you know, so it's really, it's that evolution of as you grow and evolve and up level in what you're doing, you're going to start handing off things to other people who are going to be even better at it than you could ever be. Right. And then that allows us to stay in our zone of genius. So really how I view this as being broken up, there's the manager, right? Then there's marketing and then there's PR. So one of the things that I do see this a lot in the music world is marketing and PR tend to get combined a lot, but they are two totally different things. Like I can do PR, I know how to do it, but 
That is not what I'm an expert in. I am a marketing and sales psychology expert. That is my thing. So that's what we do. We are the, you know, hey, I'm going to take your website and redo it to make it a, a conversion machine and make sure it's speaking directly to your exact ideal people. Or I'm going to take your Instagram and yeah, I know how to work Instagram, but I'm going to use your Instagram with an overall marketing strategy in place to make sure that we're getting you more bookings or we're getting you more students, whatever the goal is, right? Um, versus PR is more of that, like, hey, let's get you this, um, get you in the New York Times, or let's get you on this radio show, right? That's that kind of like public outreach. So that is one thing I would just, you know, I'll get off my soapbox in a second. But just for anyone interested in this area, um, definitely be aware that in my experience and what I have seen, people generally cannot do both of those. Like usually you're a marketing expert or you are a PR expert. So um, yes, we are the marketing side of things. So now we know from what Nicole had to say that a management shouldn't be confused with someone in marketing or PR. Let's talk about manager competitions. There's a type of competition that leads to management where the entrants compete to obtain a contract with a managerial agency with a very professional name and it usually doesn't come with a personal name attached to it. For a 20-something soloist or a chamber group, it can look very glamorous and it can make for a great career and it could lead to heartache when the relationship is over in four to five years. For instance, one is the Concert Artists Guild, very reputable. It's an American musical institution based in New York City and established in 1951. It is dedicated to discovering and nurturing musical talent and helping musicians start careers. It provides scholarships and grants and also runs the CAG record label. I did that competition, I did them all. I made the finals, but nah, they didn't want a flute player. <laughs> so there are managers online like Hello Stage, if you get involved with an agency early enough, like Jasmine Choi, flutist, you can work with them. Hello Stage is an independent online platform for the classical community. It was founded by Bernhard Karras, from, uh, the former artistic director and CEO of the uh, Vienna Concert House in Vienna, and Bettina Maney. Hello Stage connects musicians and ensembles, managers, promoters, and their fans in the classical music world. There are managers who sign you exclusively as an instrumentalist, or you join a roster of instrumentalists who hopefully offer different kinds of music. I am that artist 
who performs on a roster courtesy of Cialino Artists Management. Marianne Cialino left a great career on Wall Street to become an arts manager who could take over the business side of connecting with presenters and negotiate fees and contracts. So how did Marianne find me? Notice how I didn't say how I found Mary Ann. Marianne signed me after a recommendation from a conductor who had worked with me on Trail of Tears by Michael Doherty. You see, I didn't do a thing. No phone calls. No press kit. She called me and immediately was pro-Amy and, and signing me. And, I mean, there was no monthly retainer. There's just a 20% commission of my fee if she negotiates it. And believe me, I'm happy not to have to negotiate my contracts as a soloist. This way, I can concentrate on the music, the performance, the details of my health and well-being for traveling and performing, and someone else can handle, in a very classy way, the details of my contract. But now what happens? Can't the manager pull out all the stops and tell everyone how great you are and publicize that concert? Of course they can. They can present you at their presenter conventions, along with all the other presenters showing off their classical artists. You see, managers have relationships with presenters and artistic administrators. So this is where we'll drop a little bit of knowledge. They don't market or promote. what the heck is going on with the algorithms? Because just when a girlfriend calls and says, okay, here's what you do. You like all the pictures and then you post your, you, you post your thing and then you continue for another 10 minutes and like everybody else's and then it'll work. Or here's scenario number two, Nicole. <laughs> you call or, or text three of your best friends and go, give me some love on Instagram. Give me some love on Facebook. And they all do. And we all comment and then still crickets. So what the heck is going on with the algorithms? (laughs) They change. So the algorithms, well, every social media platform has its own algorithm. I'll speak specifically towards Instagram just because I love Instagram. Here's the deal with the algorithm. It is constantly changing. There are a few things about the algorithm that remain consistent that are helpful to know, for example, your relationship with other accounts, right? So one really good way to hack the algorithm, if you will, is make sure that you are developing consistent relationships with other accounts. So doing engagement, going and liking all of their, you know, like their posts, leave a comment, maybe you're replying to their stories, you're DMing with them, right? Doing that on a consistent, regular basis, because novel idea, social media platforms want you to be social. So that's one of the big algorithm factors that is a consistent. And when you can do that, the algorithm is going to show your content to the people you have relationship with, regardless of how many likes or comments you're getting, you know, because Instagram is like, oh, hey, well, Nicole and Amy, Amy Porter, they have a good relationship. They're always, you know, commenting and liking and DMing back and forth. So even if Nicole posts and it gets zero likes, we're still going to show it to Amy because they're good friends, you know, they're pals. So that's kind of one of the factors that it takes into account. However, comma, 
algorithm, there are a ton of different factors that go into it. It's constantly changing. Anytime they release a new feature, it changes. Like for example, right now, Reels, right? That's a very recent feature. So the entire algorithm recalculated when Reels were announced. So now it's really prioritizing Reels. So if you want a lot of organic growth right now, do Reels because they're really pushing that and prioritizing it. So that is honestly like one of my jobs as someone that does marketing on social media platforms. I feel like half of my job is keeping up with all of these changes. So it's a lot, but I do want to give a disclaimer for, you know, people who are not like actively working as a social media manager and don't want to spend half your day trying to keep up with what the heck Instagram is doing. Um, honestly, I am very much a fan of kind of not acknowledging the algorithm, right? As long as you are showing up, you are being consistent, you're putting out high level content and you are building real relationships with other people, then it, the algorithm shouldn't matter, right? I don't check my likes. I don't check my story views. I don't care what the metrics that matter to me is my bank account, you know, am I getting bookings? Am I booking new clients? And also DMs, are people feeling comfortable asking me questions? Are they wanting to engage with me and know more about what I'm doing or feel comfortable asking me for advice, right? Those are the metrics that I like to look at. So honestly, my take on this, my hot take is the algorithm doesn't matter. As long as you're building real relationships, showing up and really providing value for your people, the, the algorithm doesn't matter. Do you like it when people go live? Yeah, the live definitely helps with the algorithm. Instagram likes you to use all aspects of the platform. So they are definitely going to reward you. If you are posting in your feed, if you're going live, if you're posting that as an IGTV, if you're doing reels, if you're using your stories, they're going to, the algorithm will reward you if you use all aspects of it. So there's, there's this core belief that self-improvement can bring a paycheck. And I totally believe it. Yeah. Outside of all of the strategies, right? I can give you all of the marketing strategies, all of the sales strategies. We can redo your website. We can do all of the things, right? But at the end of the day, how you show up and that energy, that is everything. So that combined with the results that you're able to get for people that's really what's going to build your name, you know? So if I'm showing up in my Instagram stories and saying, Hey, I have, um, some one-on-one -on -one spots open for coaching just in case anyone's interested, you know, we can talk about like your social media or this, that is completely different versus if I show up in my Instagram stories and say something like, Hey, just wanted to let you know, I just opened two spots for my one-on-one -on -one coaching. I only do a few of these a year. My last person that I worked with was able to quit her nine to five. She's now making six figures a year in her business, working for herself. Here's the screenshots to show this income, income, screenshots, proof, proof, right? So this is going to fill up. If you want this DM me and let me know, let's chat, you know, those are 
two, like I'm essentially saying the same thing, but it's two completely different ways of showing up. And that's really going to come from a lot of that self-improvement work, right? That mindset work and um, believing in yourself, having confidence in yourself. That is, I mean, that's key. You can't, you can't do this without that component of it. Understand that that's an everyday thing. You get up and you manifest and you journal and you pray, whatever it is you do, and then you make it happen. There's nothing without the action. So at that point, you can look back and say to your friend, hey, Alan Tomasetti, can you help me start a podcast, please? Because I can't do it on my own. Can I farm this off to you kind of thing? And then, hey, could I, you know, so, so in a way you've manifested your power to be who you feel you can be and don't feel imposter syndrome uh, like me because every time it happens, you think, am I deserving of this? Oh my gosh, am I deserving of this? Yes, you wrote it down every day. You, you prayed about it or you um, wrote about it or you kept talking about it. It was in the frontal lobes of your brain. So um, I think you got to believe and then delegate, delegate that work. Just a little backstory. If everybody thinks it was easy, uh, golly jeepers. I grew up without the computer, grew up out without the internet. I had New York City at my beck and call, and yet I'd walk down the street super lonely thinking I'd just play the flute. And I think that hard work and integrity will put you in the place you want to be and that you're meant to be and not in anybody else's shoes. And we'll talk about that compare schlager again. You know, we're, we're pretty much where we need to be. And, and it's so good to find that other people can help us. We don't have to do it all on our own and feel like we're that lonely soul in New York city. Like, Oh, I just play the flute. What am I going to do? You know, that's that that's definitely a thought for some flute players, right? Yeah, I'm totally with you. We do not have to do everything on our own. And I will say that was something, especially when I first started, I struggled with that a lot because I am definitely Enneagram type three, type A perfectionist. I want to do everything myself. Um, and I struggled a lot with being able to, <laughs> to hand things off and, and even asking for help. But I think the the mindset shift for me was really... I wanted to focus on being in my zone of genius, right? I can build a website and design things and manage a social media account and do this and do that. I can do all of those things, but do I want to? No. And do I want to invest the time and energy and effort in becoming an actual expert in all of those areas? No. So my mindset shift was, well, I need to find somebody exactly like you were saying, who really believes in me, believes in what I'm doing, but also that is their zone of genius. They will be able to do this way better than I ever could. That's what they love doing. I don't necessarily love doing it. Right. So really finding that, that magic area there. And I also wanted to touch on the thing that you said right at the very beginning of that really that really resonated with me was finding that that kind of magic zone of doing that the journaling and manifesting plus taking action because you can you know dream and and journal all you want and make your goals list and in 10 years I want to be doing this and this but if you don't take the action towards making that happen you're 
not going to get anywhere, you know? So I think that that is really, really powerful to note that you do need both of those components too. You know, you have to be dreaming and envisioning your future and picturing that life that you want for yourself in order to make it happen. But then you also have to take the actions (laughs) to make it happen too. That's right. After all the work and all the wanting and all the waiting, how do we feel that we've made it? And what does making it mean anyway? Well, Jody Cook, a contributor to Forbes magazine, wrote an article, and I'll paraphrase her article. You've made it when you truly believe you have nothing to prove. You have complete awareness of yourself and you see yourself as others see you. It's authenticity. You've found enough. The balance between ambition and contentment. You're at peace and not swinging with the pendulum, that's my word, of other people's drama or emotions. You trust your process of what brought you here and you're leading with love, not fear. When someone leads with fear, you can tell. But when someone decides they have made it, doing what they want to do, then they act differently. They present differently. And they attract better possibilities for themselves. That's contentment. Nicole Ricardo, thank you so much for keeping it all straight on Porter Flute Pod. You can find Nicole at her websites. She has NicoleRicardoMedia.com and NicoleRicardo.com. And Nicole is spelled N-I-C-O-L-E and her name is R-I-C-C-A-R-D-O. Join us next time on Porter Flute Pod when we're going to have our Go Blue Flutes episode again. Let's check in with the freshmen. You can find me at amyporter.com or porterflute.com. And on Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook, I'm Porter Flute. Thanks for being here. I'm so grateful for you.